This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rat. And today we're going to devote the whole program to talking with Dame Gaylene Preston about her entertaining and enlightening memoir. Dame Gaylene Preston is one of our most acclaimed film producers, writers and directors. She's been honoured and awarded for her work um, among the many... um, The many that she's had are the Arts Foundation Laureate, New Zealand Woman of Influence for Arts and Culture, the Premium Mower Award for her services to cinema. I could go on for the whole of this interview... But um, another this morning with her memoir, Gaylene's Take, being longlisted for this year's Ockham New Zealand Book Award. So first of all, Gaylene, congratulations for this latest accolade. Oh, thank you, Maren. I'm, I'm, I'm just about speechless. And if you know me, that's pretty unusual. I can't believe it. Well, isn't that good? I know. That it's taken you by surprise. <laughs> well, there's so many other good people there, my goodness. If you have a look at all the books there, there's, there's Grand. Yep. Um, there, I mean, just if you looked at the autobiography mm. um, memoir area, it's a pretty stellar list. Isn't it indeed? Well, I want to yeah, talk... So to... I'm, 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 not used, I'm not used to being in such illustrious company. Ah, Well, I think you're being modest, but I do want to come back later on to the whole business of of writing memoirs, you know, why you decided to do it and how it was for you. But I thought maybe we'd start a little chronologically by going back to your upbringing on the West Coast, because it had a huge influence on you, didn't it? Living there and amongst your forebears and your... Um, grandparents absorbing their lives and the the whole mystery of that place. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Moran. It, it was it was the nuclear part of an extended family, if you see what I mean. So, in the fifties, we all started to get nuclear families, but um, our family still lived close to the shadow of the big extended family that had that had lived um, around Cobden and up in Ahauda. And, um, and, of course, the Prestons were um, a big family that moved to Christchurch early on, so we spent a lot of time um, on the train, on the chuffer. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah... That small town life where, you know, people say, oh, you had to make your own farm. Well, they sure did, and they had great concerts, and any young child in that environment is going to be involved. You had to be involved. You were going to be involved. If you if you could play the spoons, you were, that's what you... 
you were required. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It's it's wonderful to be reminded of those times. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty much the same age as you, and I think that's the joy of reading a memoir like this is I didn't grow up on the West Coast, but I grew up in a farming community. But you have, you know, you invoke all those all those memories of what it was like to be part of families and, as you say, you know, take part in all those activities. Yeah, I think, I think Galen's take is really a social history, a very personal one from a very particular point of view, but it, it's sort of a girl's own social history of a, of a little kid that, that grew up in the wet and and um, sort of lucked in, really. Well, you were a tenacious, you say, so, well, somebody says about you that you uh, were mouthy, probably still are, and that's a really yeah. good, all those qualities, <laughs> all those qualities are, are, are very useful in forging your way. Yeah, well, you know, I just, I think I just thought, that if my brother's lot were doing it, I'd have a go. And if anyone stopped me, it wasn't fair. Yes, uh, and there's a strong sense of social justice in all in your life and in um, in all the work that you do. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think um, I think it makes life rewarding. If, if there's always someone worse off than you. Oh yes. Absolutely. I was really interested because you, you moved to Napier for basically your teenage years, didn't you? And then you came back here to Christchurch to go to art school. And um, then, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things I was really captured by was the time in Britain when you went over, as so many people did at that time, and how involved you got in in the political life over there? Yeah, well, from well, I have to say that the years that I was at art school, which was sixty six to sixty eight, the the university was very uh, lively. You know, we would have a forum, which would be a big meeting, and, and speakers would come, and they were speakers. They weren't just um, major poets. They were they were speakers that were political activists from all over the world, but also through New Zealand. So every Tuesday, you could go to the 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 university hall and it would be packed out for a speaker and um, so it was a great education it really was a great education in political activism and though I was kind of what you might call a non-joiner um, I, I think that I think that education that art education Really influenced the rest of my life, and then, and then, of course, when I left art school without a paper qualification, I took the first job that came up in the paper that wasn't cleaning or waitressing, <laughs> and I, I and I really lucked into a brilliant job at um, 
at the Calvary Psychiatric Day Hospital working with David Livingstone and Jack Ballon and some very progressive nuns. And that influenced me also. Yes, and set you up for um, working in Britain in similar kind of uh, work, didn't it? In the prison and then in the... um, what would you call it? Were they called asylums still back then? I can't remember. Well, Fullbourne, well, Fullbourne Hospital is just outside Cambridge. Well, now it's in Cambridge. There's no fields between Cambridge and Fullbourne now. Um, but they, th- that was a, a 700-bed county asylum called Fullbourne Hospital. And um, it was run by... A private trust, but part of the National Health Service. So it was quite unusual in terms of its structure. <clears throat> and I arrived there in the heart of anti-psychiatry, which was the going idea. So it was pretty lively. I mean, intellectually, it was lively. And it was very lively in terms of the discussion around uh, the the role of medicine um, and mental health and and um, societal pressures in mental health. Mm. So I, I got an amazing education all round from from Greymain through to to uh, Colenso High School in Hawke's Bay through to art school in, in Christchurch and and on from the the, the psychiatric day hospital at Calvary Hospital. Yeah, and um, you were able to use your, you know, all your abilities, but specifically your um, art, um, doing posters, cartoons, and then making your first film when you were at Fulbright. Yeah, well, I think, I think I've been blessed in a way because I'm never kind of... I'm never kind of the hugely talented one, the one everybody's watching. I'm not on the A-list. So I've always always felt that I had a... that if I had any gifts, they were for using. So, so in a way, I've been freed by not having to conform to the... the, the I don't know motorway in terms of careers and things like that. Yeah, so when you, you've been adaptable and resilient, so when you came back to New Zealand after your sort of light bulb moment in the bath that you should make the film, <laughs> you, you, you were able to, you know, I'm not saying it was easy at all, but you were fairly persistent, weren't you, in, in following that interest and you were willing to do what it whatever jobs you could, to be there. Yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) Yeah, that is... uh, With great gusto. Yes, always. But but also, (laughs) you know, I think because I'm just a bit... I wanted to do good work and I wanted to do work that mattered, um, you know, in terms of the good of all. But I also, 
I also ha- have and retain a, a deep sense of fairness and of if I'm being excluded when other people I know who I'm just as good as are zooming along on a silver rocket, I don't I don't get sad, I get mad. Hmm. And that that fuels the fire, you know, a decent sense of outrage. A decent sense of outrage will get you everywhere, I reckon. Yes. <laughs> And that was what I enjoyed in your book is 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 you recounting all the all the times when your dander got up, and uh, you were determined to follow whatever it was that you wanted to do or wanted to um, pursue. So <laughs> dander, that's a good word. <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's one of my isn't mothers. I think get your, yeah. get your dander up. Yeah, oh. dander. So I think I, I think the main thing is to realise, you know, this is for any young people listening, thinking about taking on life in the arts, because life in the arts, you're always applying, and that means that you're in competition with mainly your peers and sometimes your best friends for the same money. And... That's one thing. And it's easy to kind of blame the institutions and blame the people who represent the institutions. You've got to find some way to not make it personal. Keep your dander going and, and understand the structure you're in that has constricted them to not recognize your brilliance and genius. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think the first time I, you know, really, um, well, I knew, I knew, I certainly knew about you, but the first films that I really, you know, remember going to and being moved by were obviously Bread and Roses, the the story of Sonia Davies, but also the War Stories um, uh, film, and because, you know, there you told those stories so clearly and so, um, you know, emotively, emotively in the right way. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, both of those films are available to watch on New Zealand on screen. You can watch them for free. I'm not sure if Bread and Roses is, but it's getting re-digitised and we're looking at um, giving it a bit of a bit of a twirl before we put it on. Oh, good. Good, because, you know, it's such an important story um, for women's, you know, for women's history in New Zealand, but... Um, for anybody to to be taken back and reminded of what it was like for a plucky individual like Sonia, and boy, she was she yeah. was, wasn't she? She had dander. Yeah, she sure did. I remember. <laughs> I remember Ruth and I. Um, I think she came down here round about that time because I've never forgotten her. Um, her presence. And um, but also the the war stories. So many of us of that time had had you know members of the family who had kept quiet, or well, actually, I, my father didn't keep quiet, but <laughs> that 
that yeah. was a, that was a good thing, but you know it it was such a, a such a wonderful way of encouraging people to go and seek out those stories from their parents. Yeah, all those women. Well, with Judith Fife managing the project and helping raise the money to fund it, we actually managed to on on sound tape. I think the women in World War Two um, oral history project at at uh, the Turnbull Library um, in the Oral History Centre. I think that's got over seventy interviews in it. So there's there's only seven of them in the film, and nine of them in the book. <laughs> but, uh, but the interesting thing about that was that everybody I asked said, "Oh." But I wasn't there, dear. Mm. And I said, I don't want to know about the war. I want to know what you were doing. You were young and you, you know, just your memories. I go, oh, well, if you think it'll be of any interest. Yes. My mother didn't say that. She just said, oh, you're only asking me because I'm your mother. (laughs) And boy, did she have an amazing story to tell. (laughs) Yes. I didn't realise quite how amazing, but there you are. Yes, so good. She said, she, she said she'd told me and I wasn't listening, which is probably true. <laughs> well, she might have told you when you weren't, you know, old enough to pick up what it was that she was really saying. Oh, I think I was busy protesting against Vietnam and wasn't interested in knowing about... no. Exactly. And then, of course, you told your father's story, which was another amazing film. Haven't I been lucky to do that, don't you think? Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, Because he had had an extraordinary story as well. And you, you, you could have so easily passed it by, missed it. Yeah. That's right. The story of the prisoners of war, for one thing, um, is only just now starting to surface as important. And I think a lot of those men felt marginalised, that somehow they managed to skive off into prison camp and not really fight, do the real war. Uh, and, And my father never complained about any of that, but I think that is how a lot of them feel or felt. Sadly, most of them have gone now. Yes, there's very few left. Mm. Yeah, before we start talking about the writing of this, just briefly, My Year with Helen, another of your many memorable films. But boy, that packed packed a punch as well. Well... Again, uh, you know, I I was sitting in my in my um, rather pleasant sunny back room, slumped, depressed about the world, and I and I realised <coughs> that Helen was quite positive. That she she was. Yeah, she'd say, oh, there's always something you can do. And I thought, well, I want to know more about that. So I asked her if I could if I could make a film. And she said, yes. So off we went. I had no idea that she was going to 
have a shot at becoming Secretary General. So, again, um, that was an interesting period in the UN, and I'm sorry she didn't get it because I, I'm sure that her interest in health might have made a bit of a difference during the pandemic. Might have gone on to it a bit earlier. Yes, indeed. I... <coughs> Yes, that was such a lost opportunity. But the interesting thing, of course, with your film was that you had no idea what the outcome was going to be as you started filming. It... No. Or oh, actually, till the very end, when it, yeah. came, when it came to the announcement, all the people I thought did know, you know, the embedded press, who are very intelligent and conscientious folk, Nobody was there. We, our crew was there um, with a couple of other people. There wasn't even a stills photographer there. Nobody was expecting the announcement that day. So there was a bit of a scurry round afterwards to say, oh, have you got any, have you got yes. any image? Yes. <laughs> um, writing a memoir... It's you know I mean you're you've been an amazing screenwriter and you've told you know how to tell a story on screen and and for television as well which is a, a different process. So how was it for you deciding how you were going to tell this story, how you were going to structure it? Well, I I started off without having a clue. <coughs> I mean, all the writing that I've done, um, especially something like Hope and Wire, for example, is just full of stories. So that I, I kind of collect stories. And then, so Hope and Wire is uh, characters are made up, but the events aren't. And the personal reminiscences of lots of people are reflected in what happens to those characters. That's quite a. That's like making a patchwork quilt in a way. A lot of my work has been a with other writers, like I wrote that with Dave Armstrong, and b um, based on oral histories or witness um, accounts. And I was just, I was just in Cambridge in England and remembering what I did at Fullbourne Hospital and I realised that I hadn't ever really even told my daughter much about that. I mean, it kind of never came up. And so I just started writing. And and, and I, I wrote it out of order. <laughs> yes, I can imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, and so then so, you had to construct it. So I mean, it has a filmic quality in that sense of because you go from the present tense to the past and here and there, but it all hangs together. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear it hangs together, Lauren. Yes, <laughs> because <laughs> because it's a you know it's a self-taught writer if you see what I mean, in that I didn't study English, I studied art, um, painting, um, and I'm a self-taught filmmaker. So um, 
but that involves filmmaking involves a lot of writing. You, you're writing from the beginning of the project to the end. So, um, but you're not on your own. Whereas when you're writing, writing something like like Galen's Page, it was, you know, it's the word. The word doesn't matter when you're writing a film because you're writing a blue, you're writing a blueprint for a movie. So structure matters a lot, storytelling matters a lot, but the ands and the the, and of course film writing is all present tense. You know, she goes, she mm. goes up, she opens the door, she looks out, mm. she sees. Um, so I'm used to writing in the present tense, but. Um, other tenses, I didn't really understand other tenses, but fortunately, um, Ashley Young, who was a gift from Fergus Barrowman at um, at Duaka Heringa, he he sent Ashley over, and she knows tenses. <laughs> <laughs> so you would have so been a, a great anything, combo. Anything clunky, she kind of borrowed it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's a wonderful read. It's funny. It's honest. It's immediate. I think it is it absolutely merits a place in the Ockham Book Award. So thank you for your time, Gaylene, and thank you oh, for taking the time to write about your uh, extraordinary life. Oh well, thanks, Moran. I'll look forward to you writing about yours. <laughs> The book is Gaylene's Take, Her Life in New Zealand Film by Gaylene Preston, and it's published by Teheringa Walker Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.